Welcome to the Nerd of the Rings podcast. To get the latest Middle-Earth-related videos, including Tolkien Explained, Complete Travels, and Theories, visit youtube.com slash nerdofthering's. This audio podcast is made possible by the support of my wonderful Patreon supporters. To learn how you can score some exclusive perks while supporting the channel, visit patreon.com slash nerdofthering's. Today we have a very special guest with us, Mr. Jed Brophy. You probably recognize him um, from, well, any number of characters from Middle Earth. Uh, just to name a few, we've got Nori, obviously, from The Hobbit, uh, Snaga, Sharku, um, those, uh, some of the most quotable orcs in, um, in Lord yeah. of the Rings. Why can't we have some? What about them? They're fresh. <laughs> That's what my sons ab- absolutely love that part. I, yeah. They love the voice, everything about it. <laughs> That's why it's in the movie. It's just for the kids. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> the uh orcs eating the hobbits that's the absolutely <laughs> it's actually a metaphor for getting kids to eat the vegetables oh there we go <laughs> yeah so uh in addition to those i was curious so i i know you're also a writer of rohan um you you've got a speaking line in the extended edition of two towers yeah. um and they find theodrid um at yeah. the fort's Eisen, and then you're an elf during the scene where uh Arwen has the vision, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. you also played a Nazgul. I did both on the both on um, horseback and also one of the fell beasts over oh. the dead marshes. There were three of us that played those characters. We're actually riding a barrel, but looking menacing. Yeah, menacing menacing isn't easy in black cloth. You really have to work it. So you actually so by the time <laughs> the barrel scene in the Hobbit came around, you were like, I've already done this barrel thing. Yeah, because the wag that I wrote. Um, and um, the two towers was also a barrel rocked by six different mm-hmm. people in all these different directions. So there was a lot of barrel riding done yeah. as probably playing tribute to um, Bilbo's barrel riding from The Hobbit. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And Very also good. sometimes d- during the big gallops with the horses, um, sometimes uh, for the close-ups, they'd have an actor on the barrel right on the tracking vehicle as it sped down the road with all the horses galloping beside. So yet another barrel. Man. I never knew that there were so many barrels involved in Lord of the Rings. Who knew? That's good, That's good that you had the practice, though. So you were probably That's the right. best one when it came to The Hobbit then. I didn't there. say anything. I didn't scry about <laughs> it. But it was clearly true. If you see my trajectory down the river, it's... You're a pro by that time. <laughs> I'm absolute pro. The other dwarves didn't talk to me about it, but you could tell they were jealous. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Especially we had Stephen Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we had Stephen Hunter on, and you know, he, didn't, he didn't mention the barrels a whole lot. And I think it's probably because you know he, he was got a stuck. Jealous. Yeah, he got stuck. Did he tell you that he got stuck in the barrel? I think that we, yeah, yeah that that actually made it into the film too, right? A couple of them it helping did, him yeah. out of the barrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was tricky. <laughs> so what? Um, am I missing anything in that list? Was there? Was there? Were you? A, oh, there's a, a there's the which. There's the witch king's the witch king's dresser in the ah, yes. I think it's in the third film, yeah. um, and various other various other orcs as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, in a Gondorian night, we did the gallop towards and from Osgiliath with Faramir, mm. um, and okay. that Gondorian night. Um, so yeah, there's a few characters in there. I, yeah. I was lucky because I was one of the full time, um, one of the twenty or so full time horse trainers for a while on it, and yeah. um, got to do those big gallops and. You know, got to buy a horse at the end of it, one of the Rohan horses, which I still have. He's Seb? 24 yeah. now. He's Seb, yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's in the paddock where we actually filmed the Mummer Kill 
attack um, outside uh, the gates of Minas Tirith, um, wow. the Rohan, yeah, riding and shooting up at them. So yeah, that was cool. Very cool. Yeah, we yeah. we got to meet Seb, and uh, I I got a little cameo from you for my uh, uh, right. Patreon supporters, and yeah, you were out yeah. you're out hanging out with Seb, and I yeah, I appreciate it. you even did a. Uh, a, a voice for Seb. I appreciate that as well. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he's been a film star for quite some time. <laughs> so oh, we're talking. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. Um, I I was gonna move on to the next topic. So if you if you've got yeah, okay. Um, so with that, you know, knowing you've played all kinds of people in Middle Earth, um, I'll, I'll pop up questions here once in a while. So, um, one of the most common questions I got asked when I was asking for people's questions is which middle earth race is the most fun to play oh look i'm going to offend all the races here aren't i i'm <laughs> going to have i'm going to have my dwarven brethren ringing me and my orc brethren ringing me it's going to be a bad day for me um i don't i couldn't really say it, they were all so much fun i never thought i'd get to play such a wide variety so yeah i always kind of pinch myself but i think i think in terms of pure joy probably mm -hmm those Rohan gallopers because at full speed on a horse with 300 other horses, there's nothing quite as exciting. Yeah. That was probably the most fun. But having said that the dwarves, that was an amazing experience being part of a company. Like I was very envious of the, of the fellowship, those people in the actual fellowship who got to spend all that time together. Cause I got to work with some of them peripherally, but yeah. not full on and full time. Um, but I did with the dwarves. And so being part of that dwarven company, I think was, I think that would be hard to beat. Yeah. Very so cool. the dwarves, the dwarves yeah. are kind of scrappy. They're kind of naughty. Yeah. They, they're really, um, you know, they know they were made first and then put back to sleep and they don't <laughs> like being called ugly or stunted. And so they have a lot to, um, a lot to endear them to, uh, an actor getting to play them. Fantastic. And, uh, looks like we just had our, uh, first super chat from Carnivales and Panama. Um, excellent says hi jed you are amazing love your part as the orc in lord of the rings and then she uh he or she added they look fresh <laughs> they do look fresh yeah um, <laughs> so uh so if you hadn't seen the pin comment everybody um so i was talking with jed before this and said you know i'd like to uh i think it'd be cool if we donated all super chats to something so i let jed pick he picked uh, frontline uh, healthcare workers, so all super chats are going to be going uh, to benefit uh, frontline healthcare workers. So, um, thank you, so, thank you, everybody. So your uh, your previous comment actually leads me into um, into the next question. Um, so you you mentioned the fellowship, and you're kind of jealous, you know, in that first trilogy, how tight they all got um, and you know bonded. Um, so one of my Patreon supporters, uh, Soapy, asks, how close were you with the core cast of The Hobbit, and do you all still stay in touch? We do when we can. Um, the thing about that company, some of them have gone on to become incredibly fabulous international film stars, and, and we don't see each other all that often. But I see Graham McTavish probably once every couple of months, and he and I did an amazing job together this time last year with a company from Utah called Icon Fitness. I mean, um, IFIT. Uh, we got to do some of the great walks in New Zealand. And, and I still see my Kiwi cohorts, Peter Hamilton and John Callan, and keep in touch with Adam Brown. And, yeah, we, we pretty much all try and keep in touch at least once a year. Um, but it is, 
it is a um, an amazing thing that we got to do that with each other. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit like going to war, you know, in terms of although that's a bad analogy for making films, I guess, but you you, you form a really tight knit bond because it's quite hard work sometimes, and there's a lot of camaraderie, and that kind of gets you through the hard days. Yeah, I mean, yeah. long hours, and it's a very long period of time as well, especially on a production like The Hobbit. I mean, yeah. How, how long? Is. How long was the uh, the total production time on that? I think I, I would think I was put into prosthetics two hundred and seventy seven times. Wow. So, but I and I wasn't put in the most. I think it was probably Richard, and maybe um, Martin, although he only had prosthetic feet. Mm -hmm. The rest of them was just the pure ears, Martin. Maybe, yeah. The ears, oh, the ears. Yeah, I forgot about the ears. Actually, yeah. yeah his, Unless his those makeup. are his actual ears. Maybe they hide <laughs> yeah. Sherlock and stuff. When we're not supposed to say, because Marty's very thing about his ears. But yeah, I'm supposed to say anything. Yeah. It's just between you and me. Yeah, and, I see. And a few I see. Other people. <laughs> yeah, and I can chat with Dean O'Gorman too because I've done a few photo shoots helping Dean out with his. Um, he did a whole series of photos sort of based on themes from World War One, from the, from the front line, from the trenches. And we, mm -hmm. we, we dug a big trench up here in, in Auckland and we had a whole lot of actors go there, including my son, dressed up in World War One uniforms and kind of recreating some of the big, those big iconic photos. People going over the top, stretches being carried through. And yeah, so I've seen a bit of him, probably too much of Dean actually. He probably worked just a bit hard. <laughs> so um, you, you mentioned <laughs> hey, your Dan. son. You're was in uh, Return of the King as well, right? But both my sons had little bits on the film. My my eldest boy, he was um, one of the Hobbit children in the first film in the Fellowship, chasing Gandalf's cart and then being in the party scene and listening to the story. And he was also a scale double when he was little enough. He was exactly the right height. And they used to put little prosthetic faces on them <laughs> to play whoever they were playing. So, yeah, he did some cool stuff on that. Yeah. And then my, my youngest son, he got to be Aragorn and Arwen's future son, right. the future king of Gondor, as he likes to tell right. people. <laughs> yeah. yeah his, uh, um, I always wonder, you know, how much uh, visual effects, why, like his eyes in that scene, like they're just so, I don't know, like it's like he's piercing into your soul a little bit. Like does he does he naturally have that look or, you know, at least when he was that age or, you know, how much is, of that is uh, effects? No, that's that's pure direction. He he was um, he was only five years old, and we arrived on set quite early the day that they did that close up, and Peter was directing, and Andrew Lesney, the wonderful great Andrew Lesney, was the cinematographer. Mm -hmm. And when he came on set, um, Andrew was there, and he said to him, "Do you know what you're doing?" And Sadlin was like, "Oh, I don't really know." And he and he put him up on the dolly, and he got him to look through the lens, and he showed him the camera move. Moving in and then turning the corner and seeing Aragorn turn and see him and run into his arms and turn around to the camera. Yeah. And and Andrew said to him, and you will, you know, you'll do your acting face and you'll think about Mummy leaving, mm. and then you'll be all sad and then she'll cry, something to that effect. Yeah. And so that when Peter came in, he actually asked him. He said, "Do you know what you're doing?" He said, "Oh yeah, I'm going to run into Vigo's arms and I will giggle or something, and then I'll do my acting face and she will yeah. cry." And Peter was like, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then just kind of talked him through thinking about his own mother, mm -hmm. you know, this, the, the times when um, he's been wanting to stay with her and then she has to go, just that thought of please don't go. Mm -hmm. And with children, they can actually hold that thought probably better than adults because there's no artifice. You're not, they're not thinking about the character they're playing. They're just holding on to that one kind of single emotion that they've been given. 
yeah. Um, yeah, and and that I think from memory, I think that is take one. I think that's the original, the very wow. first one that they shot. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, I I thought of that. You know, when uh, when I started thinking back of all the roles you played, I was like, oh yeah, his, you know, his kids are in there, and uh, like ever ever since I've had kids myself, you know, I originally saw the films back before I had kids, but since having kids, like that look is even more, you know, just kind of cuts you right to the core. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's a wonderful moment in the film and yeah. really cool for him. I think he was six. He didn't go to the red carpet, not with us. He went with some friends of ours. We didn't know. He was, wasn't meant to be at the red carpet for the premiere. Um, they thought maybe, we thought maybe he was a bit young at six, but we went to the cast and crew screening and when that moment came on, you know, just the kind of, he remembered everything about that day. He had a great time working with both Vigo and Liv. I mean, who, what a lucky kid. Who gets yeah, to do that? <laughs> who, yeah. are, who, are the, who are the people that you've worked with? Oh, you know, Vigo Mortensen and Liv Tyler, just, just yeah. a couple of people. Yeah. Not, not bad for your, your first go around, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And largely unaffected by it too, you know, but he has, he's, he's managed to get a little bit of travel out of it and go and kind of go to a few conventions and talk about that experience. It's hard because he was five minutes. Yeah. It's hard to really remember kind of right. what it was like. You're that young. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, we just yeah. got another super chat. Um, thank yep. you, Tim O'Took, uh, friend of the channel. Um, love the conversation. Happy to donate. You've brought much joy. And then there's some, uh, some cheers emojis. So <laughs> thank um, you. So the next question, um, you mentioned prosthetics, actually. Um, this brings me yeah. to my next question. Um, so, uh, and you could refer to both, you know, your time in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So do the prosthetics help you get into character or is it distracting? I always envisioned it as, you know, when you're made up like an orc, like you look in the mirror and like, bam, you know, that, that helps you get into character. But, um, I think I, I listened on a recent podcast. You talked about some, you know, sometimes it's really uncomfortable in the prosthetics as well. Yeah, it's um you wouldn't you wouldn't do it if you uh if you thought that it was going to be 100% fun being stuck under rubber. And the thing is that um you know the difference these days with silicon as to foam latex is foam latex was a lot harder to maintain. It used to fray in what we call the blend joins, you know, where you've got maybe nine different separate pieces. The chin piece, the mouthpiece, the nose piece, forehead, cheeks and then the ears. Keeping it separate like that, you get a lot more subtlety in the movement you get more kind of like muscular control than just a kind of one whole piece mm. um but blending those edges where they blend together with foam latex takes a lot of paint and a lot of expertise and a lot of touching up in between takes whereas silicon seems to it's a different it's got different properties to it and and i would be took you know a makeup artist would be more succinct about this but um they are quite heavy you do feel them on your face and you have to get used to that feeling of having it glued on and taken off every day. And then there are lenses that go in your eyes and then there are the teeth that you have to wear and you have to make your mouth work around it. So it's a, it's a, mm. it's something that goes piece by piece goes on. The character starts to come. And then once the paintwork's going on and you have the teeth in and you can kind of start to work it, then you yeah. can kind of look and see what you do. Yeah. It's, it's an, it's an exciting thing when the design is great. You know, yeah. it's a, those really, like I knew with Schnaga when they painted me up that he was, you know, that he was, um, he was going to be a really cool orc to play. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely a, one of, I think one of the, uh, most quotable, um, that whole scene, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you know this, but Andy Circus did all the ADR for, I think, parts of that scene. He played quite a few of the characters. Really? Mimicking, yeah, mimicking the, the um, wild track from what we did on the day. Because we were stuck in New Zealand and they were already doing ADR and Eddie Road, I think, really for the premiere in the UK. From memory, that's kind of how it went. But, yeah, I, I've seen an interview where he said he played quite a few of those characters just just the voice parts just um redoing the voice clean because huh. you got you got people shouting and you got fans going off and oh yeah all of that sort of stuff so yeah huh interesting <laughs> yeah, i didn't yeah. i didn't know that so so is uh <clears throat> is andy's voice are you talking like the background orcs or like no i think i think some I of the foreground orcs as well mm. yeah okay. yeah, he, yeah he's, I, a geni- he's a genius um oh, voice mimic yeah he's amazing yeah, yeah, he's phenomenal. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah I like it. his uh, his list of films that he's been in and done. I'm like, I haven't yet seen one that I don't absolutely love. Yeah, I know, and he's a good guy too. You know, he's one of those. He's one of the nicest people in the industry. Very cool. I always I always love hearing that. You know, when you like you see you see so many. You know, as a fan, you see like featurettes and bonus features and stuff like that and you're like he seems like a cool guy so it's always nice to uh to get confirmation like yeah he's a cool guy (laughs) yeah yeah um so you mentioned uh some of your uh hobbit castmates um you know that you've uh worked with and been in contact um with you know since the filming you actually uh just recently had a film release that you starred in with mark hadlow yeah moon um (laughs) <laughs> and I actually just watched it recently um, and I absolutely loved it. It was really good. Uh, and um, it was, it was kind of cool initially, you know, cause I still, <clears throat> excuse me. I still look at you guys. And I'm like, Oh yeah, it's Nori and Dory. And um, <laughs> <laughs> not on that phone. <laughs> yeah. For those of you with kiddos, do not watch the movie with, uh, with your kiddos in the room. <laughs> um, no. But uh, yeah, so what what was it like uh, working with Mark again and uh, um, on that film? Off the record, it was terrible. But on the record, I loved working with Mark. <laughs> no, he's great. It was um, it was an amazing project. He brought it to me. He'd been working with Steph Harris, the director, on um, the script for another film that they were because they've done a few films together, and we'd done a kind of a little test shoot for it, a thing called Swan Song but we weren't getting any traction and Mark and Steph had a conversation. And I think Mark suggested they just come up with something they could shoot on the phone. Mm-hmm. And um, Steph went away and wrote it and, and not a very long time. And then Mark got in contact with me and said, Hey, there's a script here called blue moon. It's really good. You should read it. And I did. And I loved the script. I thought yeah. the script was fantastic. And, and I have to admit, I wasn't that sure about shooting on a phone to begin with, but um, we went down that December I think I got the script in maybe September, October. We went down in December and shot one night, shot four scenes from it. And I went, oh, this is going to be – looked at the footage and went, yeah, this is going to be cool. This is going to be a cool film today. That's cool. I, I'm always curious. You know, there's been a, a few films, you know, a handful of films that come out, you know, that kind of uh, get some press because of the technology that, you know, the the on the low end, you know, obviously yeah. you're like – Oh, Christopher Nolan's using IMAX cameras and stuff, but it's kind of cool to see stuff on the other end where it's like, oh, they use the phone that you that are that you're walking around with in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we and we shot it quick. We shot it in thirty hours. We only had six nights or five nights, six or five hours a night, 
so we didn't have enough we didn't have a lot of time to do lots of rehearsals and you know lots of blocking we um we had a really good dop and we had a lockdown location this one service station and so it kind of lent itself to that kind of in your face filming like having a person literally right there can be a bit disconcerting but we found it really liberating Mm, interesting yeah Yeah, Yeah. it's one of those films that uh you know it all takes place in a single location but it's not it wasn't until the end of the movie um where the location actually changed that i realized oh man this is the first you know this is the second location of the movie (laughs) (laughs) i know i know it's wild eh? and and again i you know we were lucky that we had that december to go down and, and check it out because it's all glass down one side so we can't we couldn't shoot anything in that direction because we just get the reflection of the the boom so we, we, one of the one of the things about shooting on a phone is you realize you need really good sound and we had a great sound guy who'd um, worked on films for um, Quentin Tarantino back in the day and he had all his own sound gear and, and so we lucked into getting him yeah. uh, come and be able to place mics around in places that could sort of be hidden so we could I think our longest take was 10 and a half nearly 11 minutes so being able to just have a camera move with you and mm-hmm. sort of get out of your way, there was a little bit of kind of planning that we had to do. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a real character-driven film and um, great to work with someone that I know so well. Yeah. The thing, Mark and I, could we could improvise a bit of stuff. We could go off script a bit. Um, not a lot, mm-hmm. but certainly it had that organic feel that we weren't being rushed. There was no kind of timing. The timing was up to us, really, like a, like a bit of theatre. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So was the I, I'm always curious with these uh, these iPhone films, you know, um, uh, like what what the other factors that go into making a film, you know, like like you mentioned the audio, you know, you discover you need to have really good audio. What what was like the lighting like? Yeah, the the, the problem when you get into into a kind of changeable light at night when it's especially when you've got flickering lights outside we we the only shot we really struggled to keep light in was you'll know the one going across the forecourt and mark is going across there with the trolley it sort of pixelates it's the only time it really does that yeah so so you do have to light it quite you know if you can do lots of pre-lighting if you can go and have a look at your space and then kind of work out where the patchy stuff is and, mm-hmm. and get some fill in there that you can hide yeah you can do okay stuff but there is a point at which it all kind of falls apart the, the moon the moon dog lenses and the and the motion lenses and the other companies that make those anamorphic lenses they turn it into widescreen 4k so the, the definition is great it's just yeah. a matter of making sure you have a lot of prep time and with your actors too the more time you can have pulling that script apart we, we broke it down into six sections knowing we had six nights and we just learnt that section so well mark and i that we could do it standing on our heads not in character we just learned the lines and then once we got to set once we put the clothes on we would take five minutes and just drop into character and just start shooting and we just start shooting until it fell apart and then we'd sort of talk about how we could change it yeah and shoot the reverses and then go back and shoot it if we had to but i think there's maybe two only two shots in the whole film where it's a second take wow that's that's really cool yeah yeah that's awesome that you're able to get it in so few takes that's impressive you got to have an experienced bunch of people you know to do that it was it was drawing on all of the kind of film know-how of every department in terms of them being able to go away and have some time thinking about what we were going to do yeah like i say it was a clever script it was written to be shot 
in one location. So it really helped us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Like I said, I really enjoyed it. Um, I picked it up on, uh, on Amazon. I know right now, just because I just did it recently, I can tell you guys, uh, it's five bucks to buy it or five bucks to rent it. So I went ahead and buy it. So you should buy (laughs) it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, so it stars, it stars an evil mustache too, like a real yes. evil mustache. Yeah. yeah. You've got to watch it just for the mustache. Absolutely. You do. Yeah. And you've got the, <laughs> uh, you know, you've got the, the sawed off shotgun with like the holster thing. I had to give it back. It was, a... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now speaking of wit. Okay. So this brings up something. I actually didn't have this in my notes, but when I was talking to Steven, he, someone asked him if he, you know, got any keepsakes <laughs> from Middle Earth, and he said, yes. he said Jed Brophy <laughs> probably stole the most stuff from <laughs> from the Hobbit set. <laughs> so you, I don't, you might get in trouble if you tell me everything you got from the sounds of it. But is there is yes. there anything in particularly, you know, cool that you have from from either time in Middle Earth? I'm working with some. Uh, you know, in this country, you work with the same props people and the costume people, and you work with them all the time. So, yes, I did. I did take some stuff. <laughs> I took a lot of pieces of gold. It was really, really. I took some in the first take in Trollshaw when we're burying the gold. When it's oh, yeah. me and me and, and Gimli and Dwalin are having a conversation about money, and me and someone else are burying the gold. I was yeah. literally filling my boot up because yeah. there was all these gold pieces. Like every take, I would put get some in my boot. Yeah. And I made the mistake of telling Graham McTavish. And so he demanded that I ransom him half of the gold that I'd taken. <laughs> I think I got 48 pieces of gold and he ended up with 24 of them. Wow. But then he told, he went to a convention with Dino Gorman and they he told that story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So then it wasn't many questions asked, but a couple of my friends who work in the prop department asked me just what I did take. And I did, I tried to put something in my pocket in each location <laughs> and I wasn't successful in Bjorn's house. I think Peter might have caught me and told me to put it back. And so I thought, well, if I can't get away with it on camera, then I probably shouldn't do it. But yeah, I got some stuff. I got a, I got a pipe from Bilbo's house. Oh. And I got um, some salt and pepper shakers, maybe, or maybe some candelabra, something like that. <laughs> Man, you're a, you're a regular uh, Lobelia Samuel Baggins getting, yeah. getting this everywhere. Oh, that's, a knock on the, that's a knock on the door. It's the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they had doubles for everything, triples for everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's great. Um, oh, sorry, I, was... <laughs> I don't have much of the gold left. I used it to pay some debts. <laughs> I owe the elves some money. <laughs> so, um, um, that's very that's a very in character thing for you though, because, uh, you know, I was telling you earlier before we hopped on the live stream. So one of my favorite, uh, behind the scenes books, if I can get it in camera here, the, uh, the Hobbit Chronicles. Chronicles. Yeah. So this, yeah. this is a fantastic book. I re- recommend it to anybody who's a fan of, of, uh, the middle earth films. Um, so it's got a, a lot in there, um, that we don't necessarily, it's, we either don't see it in the Hobbit, films or it's uh it's more noticeable after you've read the information in here like um for instance the big thing with nori is he likes to steal things um so i mean in your defense you're just being in character so absolutely yeah it's it's part of my job yeah we should just tell peter jackson i mean it's just (laughs) being in character 
Um, <laughs> so uh, like uh, some of the, the things that I picked up on, you know, as uh, rewatching the films in light of, you know, the stuff you talk about your character in the book. Um, so, you know, we have the obvious moment in Rivendell where there's like a cup or something that you're shoving in your, your jacket. And uh, another thing you said is, you know, he's, he's, looking for the exits because he's kind of a, a shifty character you know and like in bayorn's house uh you know the other dwarves are, are kind of looking around and you're just kind of like you know glancing around for the exits kind of thing and yeah. uh you know you mentioned uh uh glowing um glowing is uh says nori get a shovel and you know in the book it talks about how um Gloin and nori both have kind of a mutual appreciation for money um yeah. So, you know, there's there's those little moments like that um, that that are there, you know, especially if, you know, you've you've heard some of this uh, content from the book. So are, are there other things, anything else from, you know, as Nori um, for the character, you know, that uh, that you kind of had in your mind that maybe didn't, you know, come through in the films as much um, for those, you know, for those of us who might have missed it? Yeah, there, there was uh, one of the things they talked about is Nori being ostracized from his family. Like you, you can go and steal from other races, but you don't really want to be caught stealing at home. And maybe he, he'd been on the road and maybe living rough a bit. We all sort of got given backstories at this big meeting that we had at the beginning where they showed us our costume designs and the kind of coloration of the families. And they kind of went through what the family dynamic was. And so Mark, Mark being the older brother, he, you know, he had, he had quite a lot to, of input into terms of how that dynamic might be. And Adam and I, we got to talk about that as well. In all of our training and boot camp, we got to talk about how this dynamic between the three brothers might work. And I used to stand myself away from those two quite a bit. Mm. Like I would find myself drifting around and listening to conversations. So it was kind of a conscious thing I did where I would, we would look, because Mark was always saying, why don't you come and stand with us? I'm like, nah, I want to go and stand over here. Um, and it was a character thing. It was that kind of thing of trying to tell that story physically. Mm -hmm. Because you've got 13 characters who are all dressed in similar garb, and, and although they went for very distinct looks, that was our job was to create that fabric within those scenes where the focus isn't on us. It's, it's on Bilbo telling the story or Thorin getting you know, information from Gandalf or whatever. You still have to tell that story in the background for it to be subliminally picked up by the audience. The fact that when you read the Chronicles, you go back and you can see it, that mm -hmm. means we've kind of sprinkled yeah. Peter talks about Peter talks about sprinkling that kind of background into in, into um, into the films, and I think he does it really cleverly yeah. by giving you the information, and then it's up to you to try and portray that as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Are there um, are there any other you know uh, Nori in the background moments, even even if it's something that didn't end up in the the finished film? Like, is there anything you can in particular remember um, you know kind of doing in the background? that to fit his character no not really it's we we were there to kind of serve the story and so we were given these little story beats that were quite fun there was little glances between people that you might not pick up where we kind of you know look i'd, I'd quite often see what gloin was thinking especially yeah. when money especially when money was being talked about and there yeah. was quite in the original script there was a bit more to do with that whole deal and bargain thing we'd made at the beginning the bet about whether bilbo would come along on the journey 
Ah. Um, you know, when we're riding along on the ponies and I'm collecting, people are chucking me sacks of money and I'm chucking it to other people. That was a kind of a bet that Gloin had with Nori about whether or not he would come. And we took dividends within the other dwarves. Ah. And so we didn't really get to see that, although that was kind of part of the sprinkling. Mm. You know, if we'd had time, if, if, we'd been, if we'd been able to make for our 50 films of The <laughs> Hobbit, right. we could have sprinkled all that stuff in there. Yeah. Um, but that's not the way that it was. Right. Right. Yeah. That's great. But yeah, it was it was fun kind of coming up with ways that we could keep ourselves as a unit, but kind of trying to tell those stories. There was an enmity between Dwalin and Nori that, that Graham and I played quite a lot. Okay. You know, where you know, but and then he kind of saves me and picks me up and dusts me off after we fall through um from the troll caves. Mm-hmm. So little things like that. They were yeah. kind of fun to play. Yeah, I love I actually I, I I think that might be in the book as well. The you know, that Dwalin's kind of not sure about Nori a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you met, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the bit with you and uh, Gloin um, not making the final cut. So I, I have another question here from Patreon. Um, what was your favorite scene that was cut? Yeah, I don't really know. Um, that's, that's, that's a really, really hard question to ask because if it were up to me, I'd leave them all in there and right. everything that we shot. <laughs> it all feels like gold when you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, when you get the extended version and the theatrical version, it's, it's always nice when you see the extended version and there are little bits that you did kind of, kind of that are in there. Like the little exchange that I have with Dwalin and Bjorn's house where I'm going, you know, let's go out the back window. And he's sort of going, what do you, don't be a coward. Um, and, you know, and and the stuff where I'm caught stealing from Rivendell when the, the goblins tip out the bag and right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you just you always hope that those moments will get extended a bit, but that's just an actor's ego. You always yeah. want to see yourself yeah. on screen more. Yeah. Um, but the, you know the the filmmakers and the people wanting to sell the film, they've got a journey that they're going on as well. And you kinda have to you kinda have to not worry about the scenes that got cut that you would love to be in there. <laughs> I like them all. Yeah. All yeah. the bits with Nori that were cut. <laughs> all that bit. No matter how many hours long the movie would be, I would watch them all. <laughs> I, I think it, I think I think there's something like a million feet of um of film out there from The Lord of the Rings, probably. You know, if you put it all together, all the bits that they cut out of all of the films, there'd probably be a lot of film left to make. Yeah. I I've so my um my kind of theory, you know, I, I don't I'm sure you're probably aware that, you know, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit came out on 4K recently. Have yeah. you have you seen it in 4K yet? I haven't, although I have a 4K TV, but I'm just not how, sure how I'm going to get to watch it. Um, so, yeah, but when I do, I'm definitely going to watch it. And show and show. Yeah. Have yeah. Some, someone out there with a 4K TV who's got it. Get, get me on the weekend. There I'm go. good to watch the marathon. I've watched the marathon a few times at the Roxy Cinema. Um, Jamie Selkirk and Richard and Tania helped restore a cinema in Miramar, um, a beautiful old cinema, and it's beautiful Art Deco. It's got amazing sound and, of course, amazing seating. And I went there with my son and a few others um, from New Zealand, and we, we sort of took part in watching those, all of the Hobbit movies and then all of the Lord of the Rings in a row over the course of a, a weekend, and it was pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah, that's yeah. so the the way I saw Battle of Five Armies actually was uh, you know, here in the states at least they they a lot of theaters had um, 
screenings where they would show the first two films and then at midnight the third film would show and so that's what i did i went and sat in a movie theater for you know 10 to 12 hours that day and it was wow. amazing <laughs> yeah it's a great way to spend the day eh? it's um it's, it's um they're, they're pretty yeah they're pretty impressive pieces of artwork you know they've they the, the people who made the films really cared about the fan base i think absolutely yeah i think that's you know one of the things that um you know people really love and appreciate you know looking back at um both lord of the rings and the hobbit it's it's evident i feel in uh it seems like everybody you know actors uh behind the scenes folks um you know obviously uh peter fran philippa they all uh, they all have the same love of tolkien's world that us fans do um yeah. you know, you guys are all fans yourself um so it's absolutely yeah yeah i was a fan of the books as a young man growing up i grew up on a um on a sheep farm in central new zealand not far away from mount doom and mount and the misty mountains actually Ruapehu, which we use for both um we shot stuff up on there for the ride to the black gate and the prologue and then we shot stuff up there for the hobbit and of course, Mount Narahui, which is the mountain next to it, which um, they use for the kind of silhouette or shape of Mount Doom. They were just half an hour from the top of the hills on my farm. So wow. I, I grew up with that mythology and being able to look at those mountains. Little did I know, you know if not, that would have been 1969, 1970 maybe, yeah. that um, you know, in 20 years' time, um, I, I would actually get to be in those movies. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So you... So did you, um, you know, as, as a young, uh, a youngin, uh, you know, reading through Tolkien's works, did you look, look at, you know, what would become Mountain Doom and think of that as, you know, I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. I would, I, I, I thought I was Aragorn, of course, and all the sheep on the farm were the orcs. They were terrified <laughs> of, of, um, of Strider on, yeah. on his horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're very romantic view of, of, um, of life my my kind of view of life uh, which one of the things that sustained me on farming life being able to go up on my horse you know believing that i was in those those epic tales and tolkien you know the, they're the ones that stayed with me yeah absolutely so yeah i've I've had the i've been incredibly blessed and, and I, I know that you know who would have thought that a a huge fan like me would end up actually being allowed to be in those films it's been it's been a privilege wow that's fantastic yeah. <laughs> so so is uh, being a, a fan of the books before being in the movies, who who is your favorite uh, character? Was it Aragorn? You mentioned Aragorn. So. Yeah, I, I think the Strider character of Aragorn for me, that, that idea of this, this person who's hiding his identity for long periods of time but always doing good yeah. for other people. Like he's not doing it just for himself. He's doing it to try and save the remnants of humanity from this last kind of great evil. Yeah, I think I think that's... If you're a romantic anyway, a romantic at heart, that's the kind of character. I really loved Faramir too. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And of course, who wouldn't want to be? Who wouldn't want to be Gandalf? What an amazing part! <laughs> Fly well, your fools. Now speaking. Okay, so this this is going to bring me into something. You know, uh, something else that's you may have heard. Uh, there's a little show being filmed in New Zealand right now um, that has a little bit to do with Middle Earth. And yeah, I, know, apparently. I know the other day that, you know, you've, as far as the, uh, the bingo card for races of middle earth, <laughs> really the only thing you're missing is a wizard. So, you know, I think, 
I, I think the hashtag I used the other day was Brophy the Blue. I would love to see you as a blue wizard. Um, and, uh, wouldn't that be amazing? That would be amazing. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, prob you probably couldn't even tell me if you were involved in the Lord of the Rings on Prime, but um, is there anything there? Is there interest there or total? Don't yeah. know. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm busy enough, you know, so yeah. yeah. You never cool. know, though. I, I I had to ask. I couldn't I couldn't go without asking. I know. Even if <laughs> even if I even if I knew anything, I wouldn't be able to tell you because right. then I'd have to track you down and I'd have to yeah. make sure that no one ever saw you again. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or yeah. you know, Jeff Bezos's uh, crew would, you know, from Amazon would come hunt me down. Uh, yeah, any big film, you know, any big yeah. film. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we got we got another super chat. Um, Five dollars donated to frontline wow. health workers from Scramalo. Well um do you ever watch behind the scenes to get some nostalgia so like the behind the scenes features um you know if you're you're missing your friends from from the filming do you do you watch the behind the scenes stuff to to remember yeah. back? <laughs> sadly i only watch my bits <laughs> no i do i do i do get nostalgic it's I, there's a friend of mine that I see quite quite often who was one of the horse department with me and he quite he quite often comes up and sees my horse as well and we talk about those great old days of, of being on location because that's one of the most amazing things about those films for us as a nation is we got to see our own country through the eyes of all of these international fans. Mm -hmm. yeah, New Zealand is a beautiful place but a lot of Kiwis take that in, you know, incredibly for granted and I think this last year because we haven't been able to go anywhere, has has got Kiwis to fall in love with that just as much as our overseas fandom and, and audience did as well. It's a huge character in those films, is the beauty of this country and the remoteness and the kind of almost primordial look to, to the landscape here. There's a kind of an energy in this country that lends itself to that mythical, brooding kind of um, atmospheric landscape that um, an incredible bunch of people were lucky enough to work in. I know that all of those international actors that came here just went, wow, we are so lucky to be here making these films in this place. So, Absolutely. And it's, a, it's yeah. amazing the variety of uh, landscapes that you guys have. You know, you look at New Zealand and it, it's not that big, <laughs> really. No. Um, but we, we, the, pa we pack I, a lot in. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. It's like those kids' lunchboxes, the ones with all the compartments. We have yeah. one of those, the super lunchbox. We have a bit of everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I, did, I did see a thing, Peter, talking about doing all the location scouting and just going, you know, there's so many places they could have used. They were sort of spoiled for choice. Um, yeah. I love that story of them flying over and then seeing Hobbiton and seeing the party tree right there and knowing that they'd finally found that location. Yeah. And I've, I've been privileged to go to Hobbiton a lot and I've shown a lot of my friends around there and, um, I've even been asked to, if I'll become a celebrant so that I can marry people there, you know, like do it in, do it in black speech or learn a bit of Elvish or do it in Kuzdul. Feel the fire of the drawers if you get married. Um, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. It was so kind of cool. You haven't married anybody yet then? No, no, I haven't. I haven't. No. It would be, imagine doing it as an orc. I mean, would that be a union you could actually call uh, yeah. real? I don't think right. so. No. <laughs> And then Nori, you know, he'd just be like making off with the the ring stuff yeah. from the, yeah, or the ring, yeah. <laughs> I just need to go over here and just check this ring out before I give it to you. And he's off. <laughs> <Oi>. <laughs> so no, um, 
another interesting thing with Nori. So another thing from from the book that I read uh, was a quote from Richard Taylor, where he actually said that uh, Nori was his favorite dwarf uh, because of the design. You know, he had the, um, you know, for starfish. lack of better, starfish. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that's what you guys call it too. <laughs> Look, I, I was stupid enough to read all of the fan comments when our images first came out, and there were those that really loved it, and there were those that really hated it. And I just learned that you couldn't, we couldn't keep everyone happy. But what I loved about it um, was that you could always see where Nori was in silhouette. You know, if ever it was getting dark or they're up on the hills, you could actually see the hairdo. Mm -hmm. um, it was all about the hair. But my question, and one of the things we never got to see, is them grooming. I think it would have been very interesting for the audience to see what they had to go through to keep those styles because yeah. there's a lot of cool styles on there there is yeah and i noticed yeah. like even nori's eyebrows have like beads yeah. in them and everything that's that's dory that's dory just missing yeah. dory's the hairdresser of the whole group he's yeah. he's the one that does all the braiding i mean he mark would never say this but definitely was his character <laughs> oh man that's great and i I noticed, you know, um, as the films go on, Nori's hair does get a little more disheveled as as things yeah. get real, so to speak. And yeah. uh, I think, you know, uh, of the people in charge of continuity for for stuff like that, you know, like, oh, you know, oh, that's a little too much hair out of there. <laughs> you know, I can't even imagine. Yeah, that we, you know, I think they're the unsung heroes, actually, that both the continuity and the makeup and wardrobe department in terms of being all over. They watch the scenes really carefully and they watch playback and they look at that stuff meticulously, like where the belt was, where it hung in the previous scene, what's happened in the meantime, has it become disheveled, has he fallen over in the mud, we need to put more mud there. Yeah. And sometimes you're not even shooting in sequence and you're coming back to stuff that you shot months before. And they do, they take a series of photographs meticulously noting what the scene was and what time and what you were holding and all of that stuff. And mm -hmm. actors really rely on them doing their job because we can't remember sometimes. No, I had it in my left hand. No, it was in your right hand. I'm pretty sure I'd know when I'm carrying a torch. It was in my left hand. No, no, it was in your right. Well, I think you'll find it was in my right hand, as you say. Because <laughs> yeah. they, they're hardly ever they're hardly ever wrong. <clears throat> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's you know, it's funny because pretty much any movie you watch, there's some kind of, you know, there's websites and stuff that say goofs and stuff and like. It's it's gonna happen, but it's amazing that it doesn't happen more often. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> you know, know. You, especially on big productions like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the TV crew, TV and overseas crew that work, you know, on those films. There, they also help each other a lot. There's a lot of um, interdepartmental kind of helping out. Absolutely. Plus, you might see something that props misses or something like that, and they always, you know, there's a lot of teamwork involved in those big films. I mean, I just know. My makeup artist is there before I get there in the morning, and and they're probably there long after I leave, as is wardrobe. So, yeah, I certainly know where the glamour part of the industry is. They work really hard to make to make these films work for the yeah. people. Yeah, Peter Peter's pretty good too at, at noticing stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I I was curious, you know, how much, uh, you know, other when you mentioned other departments and stuff, I wondered if uh, you know uh, how much the director sees that kind of stuff or is he working on, you know, bigger picture kind of things, you know, so that's interesting to know that Peter, Peter picks up on that stuff too. Yeah. He'll, you know, definitely if he thinks it's not right, he'll ask the question. Yeah. If he thinks it wasn't quite, you know, the way that it was in a previous take or the last time that we shot it, yeah. but th there's a lot, 
man, I, I would not be able to do that job. I really, you know, I'd have to have a lot of help. He, he is amazing for having the, the story in his head that, you know, he's got a very clear understanding of the way that he wants to shoot it and the drama that he wants to um, evoke from that scene and, and, and what the overall feel of the scene is, not just for the, the character talking, but for all of the background players too. He's very clear about the tone mm. that he wants, that he's trying to set. Um, and the rhythm that he's wanted to get and, and he knows the reason why and he's pretty good at imparting that That's you know, that's one of the great things about having worked on those films too is just seeing the artisan the craft mm -hmm. of all of those people in terms of what they bring to, to that, that storytelling I think we can get wrapped up in the fact that we're the ones on screen telling the story But for me, it's all of that other stuff that makes the difference We just get to play within that amazing kind of landscape that they've created some of the sets and some of the sets were just extraordinary. What they managed to recreate in the studio was those, you know, those, um, the construction people and the designers that put that stuff together, they, they, they deserve every penny that they make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, it's, and that's part of the reason what's so great about, you know, um, both Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit have, you know, on their home releases, you have these bonus features, all the appendices that, you know, kind yeah. of get us, uh, you know, get the fans an inside look at that and you're just blown away by you know the different departments so all the people that are just all bringing their a game every day to make something like that happen yep and they and and they do it willingly too because they know that they're making something more than just another story mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. well we just got a uh, another super chat this one from oh my scrolly messed up a little bit. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, Garrett Garlinger just donated $5. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you, uh, Garrett. He says, thank you so much for coming on to talk with us. If someone came to visit New Zealand, what would be your recommended place to go? Well, you've got to do Hobbiton because you have to go and see that amazing place that they created there. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. And then some of the big locations in the South Island, Lake Tekapo, Glen Orkey, down in Queenstown where we shot, you know, down in Greenstone, down there, there's a place where we shot the Rohan packing up and getting on their horses for the ride off to Minas Tirith, mm -hmm. you know, eventually. Um, yeah, and Bjorn's house was down there in a place called Paradise. So there are some kind of iconic places that really do not look real until you see them with your own eyes. You've got to go and have a look. Um, photographs and, and then even in the film kind of don't do justice to the grandeur of the South Island itself. We shot a lot of location stuff down there. The North Island too, but the South Island has this primordial other other kind of it's become synonymous with Middle Earth, you know, in terms of when you when you see that stuff on ads or whatever, you go, Oh, that's you know, that's Middle Earth, that's that's Lake Town or Yeah. Lake Tekapo and Lake Pukak is where they shot Lake Town and the, the mineral content of the lake turns it this kind of weird bluey, almost teal colour that doesn't look real. Wow. That's really and, cool. and of course Come to my local cafe, the Rosetta Cafe in Raumaki South. You might run into me there and we'll sit and oh. tell some lies. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably, that's where you hide some of your, uh, your um, stolen <laughs> from, <laughs> from the um, they're, on, they're on display there in the, in the little museum to me. <laughs> we just got uh, another super chat, $10. Thank you so much. Uh, this is from... Uh, Gigi uh, Quillian, um, sorry if Thank I missed you, Gigi. Um, my grandchildren read Tolkien 
books and the eight-year-old is now forging swords in my backyard. <laughs> Brilliant. She asks, any advice for grandma? <laughs> <laughs> Just give them a camera and let them make their own movies. But you need to get someone to show them how to use those swords carefully. Mm. Yeah. Well, it sounds yeah. like you weren't too far off from that, you know, playing Aragorn in the backyard with the sheep. I mean, were you yeah, that's right. worried about the sheep? <laughs> Uh, I I think that I think my dad probably worried I was a dreamer and was never going to be a farmer, which turned out to be true. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just back in those days we didn't have PlayStation or any other distractions. We had to make up your own kind of stories. And both my boys actually used to get out and make their own versions of Lord of the Rings, where they'd you know take a shot with this old video camera, and then that with the ring in there, and suddenly the ring would disappear. But right. a bumblebee, a bumblebee would have thrown through the shot. <laughs> At that time, it was, they made this amazing thing where the ring was there and then a bumblebee went through and the ring was gone. Mm. Um, and, and they made their own versions of, um, of the Black Rider. They had a black cloak. And, yeah. wow. I, think it's, I think it's great that the films renewed some enthusiasm for the books and for Tolkien's other work as well. I know that I went back and reread a whole lot of um, different books that we had that J.R.R. and Christopher had written um, that were in part of my household from my mother's time. Mm. and new books that we got and yeah we all we we as a family feel you know we it's renewed our love for it as well yeah absolutely yeah um mm. like we we were chatting a little bit before we went live here and i mentioned you know that i was introduced through fellowship of the ring was my first exposure to tolkien and it just kind of um mm. obviously that has spiraled <laughs> to the point where now i'm uh sitting here on YouTube, you know, on a weekly basis talking about Lord of the Rings, but, um, you know, some the, there's some amazing cinematography in that movie in particular. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it, it was just like nothing I had ever seen. You know, it's like, I, I kind of liken it to the way people of like my parents' generation talk about seeing star Wars for the first time. That's, so that's, what, that's my, that's my generation. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I was I was at um I was at boarding school when I when the first Star Wars came out, so I, I remember the the hype that it generated and how it changed people's kind of viewing pleasure. Yeah, but I think yeah. I I mean I think you know for a lot of people that's what Lord of the Rings was. You know, I I know yeah. it was for me. You know, I like I said I was in college when it came out, a freshman in college, and like it was just nothing I had ever seen or experienced before, and I was absolutely just hooked and. Um, like you said, you know, it's, it's driven a lot of people to, to the books, which is fantastic. You know, there's a huge, huge world, um, that Tolkien created and we've only, you know, in, in the six films that we've got so far, we've only scratched the surface really of the entire yeah. story. And, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, you've actually, um, you know, gotten a chance to hang out and, uh, converse with some of the Tolkien family. I know you mentioned, uh, Roy Tolkien before we, we hopped on yeah. here. What's it been like to, uh, you know, to kind of um, see it from both sides, you know, the the book side and then also the film side. Roy's Roy's um he's a he's a he's a Kiwi really. He spent a bit of time in New Zealand filming with both films, but also just kind of hanging out with those of us that were doing the job. And I've stayed with him a couple of times um, in the UK when I've gone over there, and we've been at conventions together, and even kind of looked after my son at a convention in Germany, you know, kind of hung out with him when I was doing the panels that I was doing. Um, and he's told, he's told me some great stories about 
being in the family and getting told stories at his um, you know, mother's knee about what it was like being a member of that family and, and his great-grandfather and his grandfather. Um, you know, he doesn't claim to know everything about the family, but he has some amazing insights into, into the fabric of that universe in terms of the writing of it. And my great aunt actually was at, at Oxford at University at the same time as, um, as Tolkien. Really? She was, uh, yeah, she was the head of her faculty or, or a lecturer in genealogy there, I think, genealogy. And, um, yeah, she used to go and listen to him talk in the pub and, you know, kind of eavesdrop on his conversation. And she wrote a book herself and took me to – when I went there in 98, she took me to show me where he actually wrote The Hobbit. So it's always been a part of our family too, that kind of, that kind of Tolkien mythology. And she had a lot of – a lot of different books, Leaf by Niggle um, and the, the Father Christmas Letters, all the Christmas letters that he wrote that she gave to me that became part of the books that I handed on to my children. So, yeah. I mean, it's an amazing – what amazes me is is the fact that it stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I read the books way back then, and we're still talking about it. I can't think of any other novel um, in my lifetime anyway that's mm-hmm. held me as strongly as these have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's – it it's constantly you know being named to all time greatest lists and everything you know for, yeah. for good reason like you said it's absolutely timeless and there's yeah. something there that that resonates so deeply with people and yeah that, cool. yeah. yeah I think the, I think the films captured that too they have that kind of timelessness like the Lord of the Rings it hasn't dated at all Mm-mm. it's still the special effects in there and the way that they told the story and the and the coloration of the cinematography the way that they show darkness and that they show light in there. I don't think, I don't think the more special effects you chuck at something, you're necessarily ever going to get it better. Mm-mm. There was some, there was a way that they came across Andrew and Andrew and his camera team and Peter and his design team and the writers, the way that they came, it was like a perfect storm. Yeah. Um, they also cast incredibly, like incredible human beings that just happened to be some of the best actors on the planet, but they were actually amazing people to begin with. That was kind. That was a kind of a gift as well that they got a group of people that so wanted to work together and knew that they were into something special, even if it was confusing at times. We all knew that we were making something good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many. Gosh, you you think of how many iconic moments. You know, iconic, not just Lord of the Rings moments, but iconic cinema moments are in that Lord of the Rings in particular. That trilogy. It's mm. um, it's really amazing. Yeah, and and they've been copied too. Yeah, it's funny. My I I introduced uh, my sons to the uh, Chronicles of Narnia movies the other day, and they're like, uh, and one of them has actually read it, and they're like, why why did this, you know, why is this like this in the movie? I was like, oh, because they were trying to, you know, be like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't help but you know you can't when you. I'm sure every filmmaker has films that have influenced them in some way, subliminally, you know, subconsciously changed the way that they see telling stories. But I've seen that motif of of black horses chasing a white horse through right. trees a few a few times in films since. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, we just got another uh, super chat for. Uh, I think I'm not very up to date on my uh, my currency symbols, but I think this is five pounds. So Excellent. I have something I can tell it's you. Like, it's like a hundred dollars New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Carl Johnson, thank you, Carl Johnson. Uh, he asks, 
Do you have any stories involving the late Sir Christopher Lee during the set of either Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit? I do, and I've, I've, sh I've shared this story a few times, actually. Um, one of the first days I got to work with Sir Christopher Lee, I, I managed to get two, three, four, maybe four, four or so days working with him. But on my first day was the scene, I think it's only an extended edition, and I don't think you see Sharku actually talking, but he asks me a question, are the wags blooded? And I say, yes, my lord, they have tasted human flesh. They are ready to attack. And then he says, release the wags. What I actually said, because I had these huge teeth in my mouth, I said, hi, 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 and my teeth came out of my mouth and hit him in the forehead. <laughs> All captured on film, kind of bounced off his head, and he turned oh to God. Peter and said, is, is it my turn to talk? Um, he was not put off by it at all. And we had a couple of conversations about working in prosthetics. He told me the, the terrible time that he'd had doing the mummy, being all encased. Mm -hmm. um, and so he kind of understood what I was going through. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I loved, there was a day where he and, um, he and Ian were, were sitting on the set and talking. And days that we had off, if I was around, I would always go over and see if I could watch what was going on, especially people like him working, because it's like watching a masterclass of, of someone that you've grown up on in every kind of horror film, hammer horror film, but also every British film, um, you know, made in a certain era. 271 features he'd done at that time. Yeah. Um, you, you know you're kind of working with someone that's been there and done that. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. yeah, even you even, you know, in addition to all the horror things and, uh, you know, you think someone who's been, uh, uh, you know, a little, even more recently, I mean, he's been in Star Wars. He's been, yeah. Uh, yeah. He was even he did, James he Bond, did. right? He was yeah. a James Bond, yeah. Yeah. He did that in the middle of shooting, actually, in the middle of you right. know, when we came back to do pickups. He'd gone away and played um, Count Dooku mm -hmm. um, um, and come back. Two Towers, I believe. So, like, he had a big – that was he a did. big number for him because those both came yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we just got another super chat, $10. Thank you so much. Uh, Tug R. Not sure if it's already been discussed. Any thoughts on the feeling that the Hobbit trilogy stretched the source material too thin? I actually think there's there's more there, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I think ideally, you know, if you were if you if you were to talk about those characters in the future, I'd love to see what happens when the dwarves go and open up Moria. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, with, yeah. uh, with with the with the delving too deep, and, yeah. and um, you know, uh, angering the Balrog, and then kind of getting the comeuppance. And what happens to Nori and Ori, or I know what happens to Ori. Obviously, he goes there because he, he doesn't follow Nori's advice. But what happens to Nori? Does he go and set up a series of, yeah, does he set up a little secondhand shop <laughs> stuff that he's, you know, like a pawn shop? <laughs> what does he do? I think there's, you know, there's far more that we could do with the characters. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I love the book, but I do, I, I like the intent. I like the intent of actually trying to explore those characters as, as individuals because they're kind of talked about as a bit of a lump in The Hobbit, the, the yeah. dwarves especially. Um, it was nice to feel like we were trying to give them kind of a real social fabric. Mm -hmm. we, we did a lot of work on, on creating this, uh, this dynamic of who the dwarves were when faced with an enemy and then when they were just amongst themselves, the kind of infighting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, and if I can... You know, kind of add, you know, because I've I get asked this question a lot here on the channel too, <clears throat> and uh, you know, my my response has always been, you know, the the argument that oh, it's one book, you know, 
why would it be three films? I, th- I think that's putting it very simplistically. You know, obviously there's a lot more going on in Tolkien's world than just what was in this first, you know, light and breezy children's book, you know, and yeah. um, like personally, I, I love seeing the Dolgal door stuff. Um, Me too. It's great scene. I mean, gosh, yeah. The, <clears throat> one of my favorite moments actually is uh, it's just in the extended edition, but when, um, you know, the, the orc that was the original design for Balg um, yeah. has Gandalf and then Galadriel comes in and she, you know, just like waves her hand and he just like disintegrates. It's yeah. Like, I absolutely love that part. So yeah, I, yeah. If I, you know, if I were to yeah. add to that, I would say, you know, I, yeah, I, I love that there's more to the story being told than just, you know, if you just stuck to the book, it would be, incredibly short and incredible you know you wouldn't know any of the dwarves like you said they're just kind of referred to as a group you know besides foreign yeah. not many of them talk <laughs> so yeah it'd be kind of boring honestly you know if they if they just stuck to that but yeah uh, yeah I, you know it's who knows why um things end up as they are but it, it was a thrill for me to work for so long on something so good it was it was it was a real it was that one of the hardest things to do was to walk away from that group of people and and know that we weren't going to come to work on monday and and do it all over again you know trailer park disappeared and this kind of meet and greet that we have in the morning and just sound each other out get into our fat suits go to breakfast prosthetic heads on you know without the woods and beds yet going through that whole process and kind of gearing up and the camaraderie playing table tennis with martin and not realizing that he was a really gifted player he would let Mark and I get really close and then just thrash us before he was called to see it. Yeah, I think we, we saw some of that in the bonus features a little bit, you guys playing ping pong. Yeah, yeah we got we got pretty good at it because we played quite a towards the towards the end when the table was in that particular room in that studio that we were shooting in. Um, I think Martin actually messed up quite a few pairs of his feet because it was <laughs> a concrete floor we were shuffling around on, but it was worth it. But he's yeah. taking it seriously, so he wasn't gonna, you know. Yeah. He's yeah. going to sacrifice the feet if that's what that's what gets him the win, you know. <laughs> I got close to beating him a couple of times, but I never actually beat him. Did anybody uh, ever beat him? I think I'm not sure if Mark did or not. I, you'd have to ask Mark Hadlow whether you yeah. should get him on this because he'll probably refute everything I've said. But <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure if he won or not. But I'm, I know that I didn't. That was kind of frustrating. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, because because Marty can be a he can be a real smartass and give you a hard time. It's always nice to get something over him. Right. He's just so good at too many things. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's I'm sure that's like a ticking clock too. As the production's winding down, you're like, man, I I only have a certain number of days to beat him. And yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've got I do a, that. Oh no, you go. I was just gonna say we've got a few more uh, super chats here. I was gonna read off here. Um, Middle Earth Lore sent a couple bucks. Glad I was able to catch this when I could. Thank you, Middle Earth Lore. Um, oh, my scrolling. Do, 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 do. Um, we've got another one for $5. Thank you, Carnivales. Um, uh, they Carnivales. asked, are you going to watch the new show from Amazon? What do you think about it? Yeah, of course I am. Yeah, I'd be mad not to. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the great things about the whole streaming platform thing is the ability to be able to tap into to, to new shows. And yeah, I'm going to be watching avidly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't um, miss it. <laughs> we've got uh, Duncan Idaho um, gave five pounds. Thank you. It says, uh, Thank you very much. 
Do you have a favorite character from any of the books that didn't make it into the movies that you wish did? Absolutely. I mean, like everybody else, Tom Bombadil. Mm, I really yeah. just, yeah, it was one of the parts of the, I read The Lord of the Rings quite young. I was probably too young. I might have been only eight years old, seven or eight years old. I don't really, I didn't understand it, but that character really, it captured me just in terms of who was the strange person who had all these powers but chose not to use them and, mm-hmm. you know, but was kind of a force to be reckoned with. Right. Um, was he a Maya? Was he, you know, was he one of the gods? Was he, was he just an elemental force that came into being on its own? I loved kind of that whole section of the book. But, of course, you can't. You can't have them all in there. You just can't right. do it. Yeah. 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 And, unfortunately, you know, Tom, Tom's, uh, you know, his section of the story is one of those that's kind of easy to cut out without affecting the entire story. You know, some people might fight me on that a little bit. But, you know. Yeah. It's one of those that it's it's a pretty sizable chunk, and if you take it out, obviously, as we saw in the films, you know, it doesn't structurally change it from a film perspective. No, you know, maybe we'll get a TV show one day of Lord of the Rings, and we'll get some Bombadil in there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I would, I would, I would, I yeah. I don't know. I don't know who else I I, I kind of missed from there really. I, I just because I understand the filmmaking, you have to yeah. make those hard decisions. You've got to, really? you, yeah, you know, there's there's a saying that you've got to put to sleep those yeah. things that you like best sometimes for the good of the story. And mm-hmm. I know that you know, I might be talking out of turn here, but I'm sure that Peter would like to have released nine hour versions of each of those films because he loves it so much. Yeah. You know, he loves making films that he would like to watch, and he would gladly sit and watch nine-hour versions of those films, and I probably would too. I absolutely yeah. would do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and the majority of, of um, fans probably would. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. We've, got, we've got another couple. Thank you guys for, for your donations. Uh, we got another question here um, asking, uh, how stressful and tiring was it being on set, and uh, were you sleep-deprived? Yeah, that does tend to happen. What? The longest makeup I had was Shaku, which was seven to seven and a half hours. And so you'd be getting to work at two in the morning. Not just me, but the five makeup artists that were working in the bus at the same time that I was there. There was nine layers of body paint, so they'd paint the front, do the face, do the eyes around there, and then roll me over and do the back and do all the little scar inserts. But then there's the takeoff time, which is about an hour and a half to two hours. So it's a long, you know, anything up to 17, 18, sometimes 19 hour days, not just for me. And then you've got to turn around and the next day I'll be back up with the horse department, you know, starting at six in the morning. So it's so not a lot of sleep sometimes. And you do. The only thing that gets you through is really good nutrition, making sure that you drink lots of water and, and learning to sleep when you can. I think Aidan Turner may be the very best at just dropping to sleep really? whenever he was able to. Yeah, he could go to sleep anywhere. You turn around and Aidan would be asleep in costume. He was. <laughs> I hope you don't mind me saying that, Aidan, because he was always on when he needed to be. But, yeah, he could kip anywhere. That's that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that's in some of I don't know if Aiden's is, but I know, uh, you know, in some of the behind the scenes, people are, you know, getting makeup or prosthetics, that kind of stuff done. And they're kind of snoozing while they <laughs> while yeah. people are working on them. It's kind of impressive, honestly, that that they're able to do. It. I, I think it's a skill, really. <laughs> yeah, it's a necessity. <laughs> um, so here here's a another question for you. So um and we'll, we're going to wrap this up, folks, in about uh, four minutes here. So 
Um, if you want to get any uh, super chats in, I'll try to get to as many of them as I can. Again, uh, those are all going to uh, to the benefit of um, frontline healthcare workers. Um, what uh, you know, if there was a, a any Tolkien player or character, sorry, um, and maybe you've kind of answered this earlier with the characters you pretended to be as a kid. You know, if if you could be any Tolkien character um, in any portrayal of any story in Tolkien's world, what what would you choose? What would be your number one? Oh, that's that's really tricky, isn't it? That's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we if we made it all again, if, if Lord of the Rings hadn't happened, say we went back in time and we changed the space-time continuum, yeah, then yeah. Yeah, this is no, up. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd like to come back as either Aragorn or, or Gandalf. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, yeah, like your your Gandalf voice is very impressive. I think it's. I, I'm not. It's like we were born twins. <laughs> now, is he? Would you say uh, is Ian McKellen the one that you can it, like? It you have quite a range, you know, just from talking with you here, and when you, you know, slip into a voice, and you know, obviously we get different voices <laughs> from in your work. Uh, you know, is who would you say out of you know all your castmates from the two trilogies can you impersonate the best? Yeah, probably, probably Ian. I, yeah. I have spent a bit of time around him. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he would he he would do himself better, but I did get to I did get to you know to impersonate his voice a few times. He's um he's amazing to watch. It was like a masterclass every day being on set with Ian. He um, yeah, his skill level in terms of being able to immerse himself in that character to go from Ian 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 and pretty much straight into Gandalf and be able to hold it like that. And I know he has played it for a long time. But um, yeah, it was wonderful, wonderful to be on set. That first day in Bag End, Stephen Hunter would probably back me up on this. All of us were just in kind of awe that we were we, we were on set. There we were dressed up as dwarves and there was Gandalf. It wasn't us as people. It was we were in character and there was Gandalf. It was pretty surreal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, myself included that, you know, when you conjure up a mental image of Gandalf, you think of Ian McKellen's performance. You know, you don't look at, I don't watch the movies and think, oh, there's Ian McKellen. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, he has that amazing stage theatricality that really lends itself to that character and the way that he plays it. He lets himself go into those emotional places and really feel stuff. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know if I heard this or I'm making it up in my head, but I think he once said that if you think it, it shows. But if you show it, it kind of you're overdoing it. So just thinking it for the camera and it kind of shows. <clears throat> it may or may not be a quote. <laughs> We can, yeah. we can give it to him. If it's not, yeah. then we'll do a secondary quote, you know, Ian McKellen, yeah. and underneath that we'll put Jed Brophy. <laughs> or allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So we've got uh, one last um, super chat here. $5 from Emily Crawford. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Emily. Um, she asks, so many stories have uh, been inspired or influenced by Lord of the Rings. Do you have a favorite literary descendant of Tolkien? I'm a bit of a Ramity Feast fan. Um, I've read uh, most of his most of his books, um, <clears throat> you know, um, from the Magician onwards, and right through to the end of that series, the Riffor series, and most of the books in between, and also David Gemmell and, and maybe David Eddings as well. I do I do like fantasy, and that my love of fantasy writers, J.R.R. Martin as well, you know, the Game of Thrones. That all comes from having read Lord of the Rings back in the day, and also understanding that. 
you know, there's a reason why fantasy is like it is. It is escapism. It's a, it's a way of being able to kind of imagine a world in a different place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly like fantasy as a, as a genre to read, but I read a lot of other stuff as well. Great. Uh, Graham McTavish, he's got, you know, he's, um, he's another one who reads. He reads a lot of books on set. He's always got a book on the go. And I'm always amazed at the kind of breadth of stuff that he reads. He's got such a diverse. I must make myself a bit more diverse. Interesting. <laughs> so, what kind of things do, did uh, Graham have on on set during the Hobbit that he was reading? I'm really useless at people's names. Um, he read he read a lot of stuff on you know war history, certain oh. periods. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff in there in terms of what he's just been doing with men and kilts. His research into um, the Scottish Highlands and the heritage there and the, the culture of the clans. All sorts of authors, biographies, just things that interested him. Um, but yeah, voracious reader. Um, he won't mind me saying that he was. Uh, yeah, he always had a book on the go. That's great. Yeah, it's a. It's always fun when you see a big tough guy like Graham, who's you know. He's not. Those. He's he's really not. He's he's a lovely, lovely. Is he a soft, big softy. Soft, yeah. He's a big softy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a pushover. No, he's not really. <laughs> <laughs> well. Then so much um yeah we're we're running out of time here so i just wanted to yeah. say uh thank you so much um oh I, I we did just have one last super chat so i'll read this one really quick uh twenty dollars from colink 924 thank you so much colink um oh, i was lucky enough to get a cameo from uh from you for my birthday a few months ago it was incredible you're a huge inspiration i just wanted a chance to say hello and thanks well, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to, to be able to do something for someone. Um, we know we're lucky to, to have been in these films. So, yeah, any little stories that I can impart, I'm always happy to. And I'll just, if I, if I don't have any, I'll just make some up. <laughs> thank you so much, Jed. Um, and like we mentioned just there, um, that was a great plug. You can find Jed on Cameo. Um, and maybe you'll get to meet Seb the Horse from yeah. The Lord of the Rings. He's hanging out over yeah. by... Uh, the Muma Kill Field. Um, yeah. yeah, thank you again so much, Jed. This was a lot of fun. And um, just on behalf of all the, the fans, um, you know, just thank you for all you've done in the world of Middle Earth and bringing so many characters. Um, you know, I think I think you probably have the, uh, if there's such a thing as a Guinness World Record for most characters in Middle Earth, I think you've got it locked down. So, um, yeah. There, there, would, there, would be, um, there would be some stunt performance who would challenge that <laughs> i think my horse my horse probably did more shots than i did <laughs> you're telling us you know we we really should have been interviewing seb is what you're saying yeah you know i was in the film i remember this one day that gandalf petted me it was pretty amazing yeah, pretty much every day he'd come and say hello you know yeah so he's best, basically your seb is best friends with ian mckellen so he's he's best friends with everyone he was everywhere I see him talking to the other horses, just talking about the scenes that he did and yeah. the times that he had talking to Peter Jackson. And <laughs> does, he stay, does he stay humble or does he get kind of a big head about it? No, he be, he became a bit of a star. He thought he was all that, you know. He's he's a bit more mellow now that he hasn't done a film for a while, but ah, yeah, okay. he's get, yeah. gotten humbled a little bit. <laughs> he has, yeah. He's gone all horsey. <laughs> well, thank you again so much, Jed. This was. Uh, just so much fun. Um, and I appreciate it. Uh, you taking the time and, uh, best of luck on all your future film endeavors. And I hope we Thank can get some time and talk more middle earth, um, talk, you know, books, films, yep. you name it. Um, thank you for everyone who donated, uh, your donation. Yeah, thank you. 
again are going to uh, going to uh, front frontline healthcare workers um, that have all been doing such an amazing job um, during our current uh, health situation. Um, yeah, thank you. Huge heroes, and uh, yeah, those those donations will be going straight to that. Um, so again, Jed, thank you so much, and thank uh, you. we'll see you guys next time on Nerd of the Rings. Thanks so much for listening to this audio podcast of Nerd of the Rings. To get the latest Middle-Earth-related videos, including Tolkien Explained, Complete Travels, and Theories, visit youtube.com slash nerdofthering's. This audio podcast is made possible by the support of my wonderful Patreon supporters. To learn how you can score some exclusive perks while supporting the channel, visit patreon.com slash nerdofthering's. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Nerd of the Rings.